Hello, and welcome to the Review Squared. You know, it's another cold Friday night. Um, we're recording this on, on another cold Friday night, I guess. Oh, yes, and yes, we're on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. I don't know how to do introductions anymore. Uh, That's okay. We're, we're not in the Bill Austin radio studio, so it's just not quite the same. <laughs> it is not, Kirsten. Um, my apartment is not the Bill Austin radio studio. It's an icebox right now, though. Um, <laughs> anyways, as you can tell, Kirsten Dorman's on the show this week, and she will be on every episode for the rest of the month. Um, Yay! <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me again. Of course, yeah. we our fav our first and favorite guest panelist. I mean, oh. honestly, all of our guest panelists are our favorites. Um, okay. I don't want Vaughn to come here and murder me. <laughs> That's okay. He can't find you because you're hiding in your icebox. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad that you guys decided to have me back after having me on once. You know, usually when I show up somewhere and tell people about like crazy true crime stuff, it's kind of a toss up as to whether or not they want to have me back. <laughs> yeah, but we're crazy enough to have you back, Kirsten. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. So, oh, yes, Kirsten, you wanted to no, say. I was actually going to hand it back to you. So this works. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, I guess let's get started on this week's show. I'm getting Kariki. I'm Kirsten Dorman. I'm Alejandro de la Cedra. And I'm Kelly Smilo. And have we got a show for you? Let me hand it back to Kirsten to talk about some true crime, I guess. Yes, more true crime all the time with me, right? So today I wanted to tell you guys about a case that I think will be on a lot more minds in the near future. Oxygen will debut a documentary that focuses on the death of Emily Morris on December 6th, which is two days after this episode's recording. The documentary will be two hours long and is titled The Case Died With Her. It's produced by Pulse Films and BuzzFeed Studies and draws on reporting by Jessica Testa, who worked for BuzzFeed News at the time. And it also will include commentary from prosecutor Loni Coombs. So in December of 2014, a 35-year-old Emily Morris was doing better than ever, her longtime friend Christine Liber told People magazine. She had a Bachelor of Arts in English degree from Lindenwood University, and while at university, she excelled in athletics and her academics. But I'd like to go back in time for a little bit and talk about her high school career. Emily had alleged that when she was 16 years old, a junior, her cross-country coach, James Wilder III, sexually abused her during her time as a star student athlete at Linderberg High School. During Emily's junior year, she developed a close mentor-mentee relationship with her coach, according to Testa's reporting. And while I won't go into much detail here, the abuse was frequent. And I do recommend to anyone that chooses to look into this case to do so with caution. It does get a little bit graphic at points in some of the reporting. And if you're sensitive to material like this, I would recommend that you proceed with an abundance of caution. 
Either way, rumors had swelled and lingered for years, but nothing was confirmed at the time. Then 29-year-old Wilder was young, handsome, and popular, according to Testa's reporting, and he was also married with a child at the time that this was going on. Years and years later, in the summer of 2013, Emily built up the courage to go to the police about what she said happened to her. She had secretly recorded a conversation with Wilder wherein he spoke about what he had allegedly done to her. According to Testa's reporting, the digital recorder that she used had been wedged into her sports bra when she went to speak with Wilder. And reading directly from her description of the recording now, quote, the device picked up some rustling, a Rihanna ballad on the car radio, and a deep breath, and Emily's voice. Let's hope this goes well. Despite her battles with depression and alcoholism, there seemed to be hope for Emily. A month later in August, Wilder was arrested and charged with six months of statutory sodomy. Each count, according to Testa's reporting, would be punishable by up to seven years in prison. <clears throat> Even before this, he had previously been arrested due to the allegation of sexual contact with another student, although nothing came of it due to a lack of evidence. And this time, he pleaded not guilty. And so there was going to be a trial. Liber said to People Magazine that Emily was happy because the trial was coming to fruition. Finally, she said, there was going to be some justice for what had happened to her. Then on November 4th, 2014, Emily was found in her apartment dead. Emily was an artist, a musician, and a comedian, according to her obituary. It reads, quote, she took great pride in everything to which she set her mind from competing in races to devoting herself to her family. She could light up a room with her charisma and bring laughter and joy to friends and strangers alike. As the title of the Oxygen documentary about her death implies, her case against Wilder died with her. According to reporting by People, prosecutors said they needed her testimony to go on. They subsequently dropped charges against Wilder. Before her death, Emily had an upcoming court date in just a few days. Though her autopsy revealed that her cause of death was asphyxiation, the manner of Emily's death was never determined. To clarify, when we talk about the way a person died like this, there are two distinctions that you've likely picked up on. When we talk about the cause of death, we just mean what killed this person? What exactly had caused them to die, whether it was an injury or a disease? And when we talk about the manner of death, we mean to ask whether this person's death was falling under one of five categories. Was it natural, accidental, was it a homicide, or is it something that we can't determine? The case was eventually closed by Baldwin police in January of 2015, which was only about two months after it had happened. No suspects in the case were ever named. Now though, those who are close to Emily hope that the coming documentary will shed light on what she went through and the cracks in the system that led to her struggles. So I, for one, am going to be watching the documentary when it comes out. Her story, if you read any of the reporting on it, was really touching, and she did really seem to be an awesome, lively person. So hopefully telling her story will be able to bring some more attention to the kind of faults in the systems that 
led her to struggle that the way that she did in the remainder of her life. So, and with that, it's a little bit of a heavy subject, but with that, I'm handing it right back to you, Gideon. Dang. Um, I guess, yeah, just to talk a bit of, of if anyone is in the panel has anything to say, but I guess yeah, guys. To, to start from my side is like, that is absolutely tragic to all, just an all around tragedy in every sense of the word. So yeah, mm. it, yeah. I guess that's what I initially have to say. Yeah, I, don't I couldn't know agree more. I, yeah, her family and friends described her as someone who was really funny, really lively. She was super athletic. She was amazing at track. Great runner. I think it's really, really sad that her family has to, you know, possibly rely on a documentary to get, you know, their daughter's um, story out or to even bring more attention to the case to possibly yeah. get her justice. Um, and, you know, it's not even a guarantee, but it's really unfortunate that, you know, they have to put, you know, they have to package their trauma into a documentary basically to get more people's eyes to it, which is no, no, no faults of their own. It's just unfortunate the lengths that like people, that, you know, families and uh, victims have to go to, to tell their stories. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. It happens to a lot of people who experience tragedy like this. A lot of people who have a loved one or a friend go missing. If a loved one or a friend ends up unfortunately dying under mysterious circumstances, a lot of the times these families and these friends and these loved ones will go out and like you kind of said, package their trauma in these ways because that's the only way to kind of force eyes on this and to force the relevant authorities to help them. You know, uh, this happened kind of recently also with the Alyssa Turney case, which if you guys want, I can talk about another week. It's a long story, but it's essentially a missing persons case from the early 2000s where the person who had gone missing, her sister, Sarah Turney, has been all over TikTok recently, raising awareness for her sister's case because the DA's office in Phoenix um, was very reluctant to file charges in the case for a very long time. I mean, all this tells me is the police needs to continue to do, to do better, the detectives. We've reemphasized that point over and over and over again on this show. Um, and I hope the documentary does her justice. I really do. I hope they don't screw it up because sometimes, as we know, documentaries just don't hit or don't impact the way they're supposed to. So I'm really hoping they did well there on the production side and that her family gets whatever closure they need out of that. And yeah, that's basically my thoughts on that subject. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It is really difficult for a lot of production teams to package, especially this specific type of tragedy in an appropriate and respectful way, because the victim is, in this case, is no longer there to give insight or to give an opinion. So like you said, I hope it really 
provides closure for the family and for her loved ones. Yep, and I hope above all that it actually, something changes. Something has to give there because this sounds, to me sounds like some, the system just broke all the way down. Yeah, I mean, with, you know, the high school that she went to and the reporting and everything, it was a little open secret from what I can tell from Testa's reporting that this was going on for a long time. It was kind of an inside joke to some people to joke about her and this coach going off together and hanging out together and just a lot of red flags that in hindsight seem very obvious to us but maybe at the time these people could have benefited from knowing what to look out for i mean we weren't in their shoes so we can never know for sure but like you said hopefully this produces some change positively yeah and with that handing it right back to you guys thanks for listening Thanks, Kirsten. Uh, thank you for uh, letting us know about that. And uh, looking forward to you bringing lights to the uh, tr the world of true crime and trying to make sense of uh, it and our justice system. Right. That's really what it's all about, trying to make sense of these tragedies in, in a way, trying to say, you know, this is what we could do better in the future we may have not done right by this victim and we should hold the relevant people accountable for that in some cases, but now we can move forward with honoring them. We can move forward with doing better, hopefully. And that's, I think what it's all about. Yeah. And yeah, so thank you so much. And we'll shortly be talking more about that sooner than later. Uh, I guess to move on to a little bit lighter, of stories. I'm I'm uh, talking this week about two shorter stories rather than the regular one deep dive. Um, so first one is uh, Mark Kelly, the astronaut uh, and U.S. Senate candidate who won in the special election here in Arizona, um, was sworn in on December 2nd as the U.S. Senator for Arizona, which marks the first time Arizona has had two Democratic Party senators since the 1950s. Um, and uh, this is according to the Arizona Republic. He was joined by his wife, former US Representative Gabby Giffords and was sworn in by Vice President Mike Pence with his wife's, uh, wife's maternal grandmother's Bible. He has not yet been given committee assignments or office space in DC yet, but he's really planning to hit the ground running. He's already started doing all the normal things senators do when they're sworn in, you know, meeting the, meeting community members, mostly virtually, as, as he's in DC right now. So yes, um, Mark Kelly is already the senator. And the reason that is, is Arizona certified its results at the beginning of the election results at the beginning of this previous week. Um, and as it was a special election, they could swear him in the almost immediately after they get certified. So it actually happened within 48 hours. Within 48 hours of certification, Mark Kelly was a senator. Special, they're allowed to do that. 
So yes, and I should note Mark Kelly will be up for re-election in 2022. Um, it's a two-year term. Okay. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, sorry. Um, in other news, before we get to the discussion, monoliths. So I, if any of you have been near the news or generally online, you've seen these just weird monoliths. These, I mean, first there was one in the Utah desert, three-sided objects just rising out with stainless steel, looking like that thing from 2001, A Space Odyssey, like looking, like truly just encapsulating the year's strange oddities of like, ah, this is, this, is this the end or, you know? Okay, since that Utah monolith, which by the way, has since been removed. Um, yes, that happened. It kind of disappeared and there's been interesting reports about that. We're not even talking about the Utah one. We're not even talking about one that was found in Romania. <laughs> which yes, there was one, a similar monolith that was found in Romania. We're talking about one that happened a little closer to us in um, Atascadero, California. And it was, there was a monolith that was placed there um, recently um, on the top of a, a mountain called Pine Mountain there. And we know how it disappeared. And all of this story uh, from here on out is according to, to the New York Times. So they, so there was a crew of several young men um, and they had driven about uh, five hours from Southern California, uh, according to uh, officials who were reporting on this to the press. They live streamed themselves tearing it out and it was a three-sided steel structure. Like not really a monolith per se, but you know, it looked like a monolith. Um, and they were, the, the whole thing was just a weird, 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 weird episode. Um, some of the things on the live stream included them screaming, Christ is King, as they were wearing night vision goggles and camouflage, um, toppling the structure in the middle of the night, actually no, early in the morning. Um, um, on Thursday, the day before we recorded this. Um, and they, oh, in one other paper, the San Luis Obispo Tribune, it was described as racist and homophobic um, at times. And they sang along to country songs, according to that same local paper. Uh, and they gave rationales uh, of removing the, uh, the monolith that included telling the alien overlords that they are not welcome, their exact words. Um, and another was saying they were operating on the direct orders of QAnon and President Trump himself. And yeah, apparently it attracted about 600 viewers online before it, got, uh, before it ended. And yeah, and apparently another video came up too later, showing them dragging the monolith down the hill and shouting America first, and apparently saying they were military veterans. So yeah, monoliths. 
This is the second one that's appeared in the United States alone and the third case of this on Earth in the past month. Uh, so yes, I'm going to hand it to the panel. So Mark Kelly and Monoliths, let's talk. I just, whenever now, whenever I hear QAnon, doesn't even matter what it's associated with, there's just this internal groan in me, like, oh, brother, again? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of wishing that we could stop talking about them, but they pop up everywhere, it feels like. This is not something that I would expect to hear about and also be hearing about them, you know? So it's, it's so strange to me that this even became associated. But when they take the monoliths away, where do they go? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I yeah. What are you doing with a huge metal, like 12 foot, I think is how long they are from the quick tested. Like, what are you doing with this long 12 foot metal, like cube rod? <laughs> I don't know how to describe yeah, like, this. Where do you keep that? I, no, literally just Googled it. I'm reading an article on Vox. I was like, all right, let me get more information about the Utah model. There's a TikTok of these kids like pulling this thing, screaming stuff Gideon was just describing. Um, you can you could go find it on the internet very easily, as I just did. But yeah, wh why? What are you you what are you doing with this? Is this like some weird 2001 Space Odyssey like thing? Yeah, like. What do, are you gonna stick? Because you can't put magnets on it or anything. So maybe some laptop stickers, decorate it, put in your room. Like, what do you even do? I mean, their justification here on this Instagram post is it's bad for the environment. Why a metal rod okay. environmentally a problem? Like, I couldn't tell you. But sure, wildlife issues and native plants it's saying here. I mean, sure, but then by that logic, we should also be seeing TikToks of them picking up litter every other day. You know, that would be better. That would yes. be good too. <laughs> um, by the way, I forgot to note the important part of the story that I somehow neglected to put in my write-up is they replaced it with a cross in California. The case I was just telling you about, they took it down and replaced it with a plywood cross. That's why they shouted, Christ is king. They were, yeah, I just want to make that very clear. They took the, the Atascadero, California situation, took it down and replaced it with a plywood cross. Uh, I don't understand what was happening there. Um, more power to them, but on one hand, on the other hand, that is also kind of illegal. I mean, the monolith installation is kind of illegal too, but it, uh, it's a mess. Yeah, it's, again, my reaction here is, okay, but why? <laughs> we need the vaccine to drop already because people are so bored. They're just putting, setting up and taking down new monoliths. Like, there's nothing else to do in, in this year other than apparently take down and put up monoliths. Like, the vaccine needs to just get here. Yeah, I mean, because also, didn't these people have to make them too? This is a bizarre comparison, so ignore my really weird comparison if you wanted to skip ahead. But when Riverdale, you, that that amazing show that we all love so much, yeah, it's great. Um, when they had that season, I don't, I, I stopped watching, so this could be a horrible description. But here we go. 
like the demogorgon stuff and like the cross and like it, are we having some weird like thing going on here in the real world like as Alejandro said maybe we just need to speed up through corona so we can stop literally having these weird fantasies happen i'm quickly gonna switch to the kelly thing thank you for getting through a process quickly american government thank you i appreciate you getting someone in office in 48 hours like accomplishment can we do that more often please america i am begging of you yeah you yeah. would think we have the technology right to do this more often <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, we have these things called laws requiring a lame duck period, which is, by the way, bad. And there's a reason why no other country in the industrialized world does that. Like literally giving like months between election and getting sworn in is kind of dumb because it, most of the time they get certified in three weeks or less. Just put them in the minute you get them certified. Just swear them in. I mean, of course, the re once again, as I said during the um, during uh, when I was talking, it was only because it was a special election. If that was a regular Senate election, Kelly wouldn't have been sworn in till January. Those are the rules. He just got sworn in that fast because it's uh, to fill in and uh, John McCain's term from 2016. And yeah. So he could he could get sworn in instantaneously. I just I just want to say, there's no two people that just better personify Arizona than Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly. Like, I forgive me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Cinema next to Kelly in on the floor? Like, what? Does, I think I saw a picture of her with her, like her purple wig on. Yep. Um, yep which I think she's continued to wear to prove the point that you can, or she first wore it like early this in March to protest the salons that were open, but I don't know why she's still wearing it anyways. I just think, you know, Arizona, you're like, oh, who's your representatives? Oh, Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly. And you couldn't name two people that are more different. Um, I mean, I, I, Definitely, it'd be interesting to see if Kelly matches the success that Cinema has had because I forget which side it is, but there's a site that does report cards for every member of Congress. And listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, from what I saw, Cinema actually got a lot passed into law compared to most other other freshman senators. She was actually very successful in getting um, bills into law. So we'll see if Mark Kelly can have that same freshman success. Well, yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean, cinema has four years. She's not up till 2024, so she's got plenty of time to uh, to uh, pad to that record when she comes back to answer to the voters here in Arizona. Kelly, on the other hand, basically goes to Washington and then will turn around and start a re-election campaign. Um, I just want to say for the record, I am not looking forward to the state elections in 2022. I am absolutely not. They will be hell. It will suck. Um, and it will make 2020 look like child's play. Um, <laughs> what makes you say that specifically about the, um, the state elections in Arizona? Um, why I say that is the Democrats came really damn close to winning the legislature and they didn't. So, and also all statewide offices are up and Ducey's term limited. So open seat for governor. 
Um, yeah, it's going to not be fun. Oh, and also Attorney General's open. Um, term limited too. That's yeah. a lot of moving parts. At least there's term limits. But like, like thankful for term limits as someone from New York. I have mixed feelings on those, but that's an entirely different discussion that we don't have time for. Um, Ber Ber Bernovich v. Hobbs. Bernovich v. Hobbs. Ah. Homework. <laughs> yeah. And so with that, oh. I think, yeah, I have a deadline that I need to make for tonight. It's end of the semester time, and I am so happy to have been here, but unfortunately, all good things you know, they, they must come to an end, but I will be back next week, so. Yes, thank you so much, Kirsten, for coming on, and I, yes, I'm so glad that we'll be having you. Hope that, hopefully next time we will actually have you for the whole, whole show. I'm really hoping for that. Yes, next time I will be here for the whole show. All of this deadline shenanigan stuff will be finally over, and I will finally get some sleep, <laughs> I will no longer be relying on caffeine to stay awake. So that will be so fun and, and lovely. And I will be able to spend the whole time with you. So thanks though, for having me on for as long as you have so far. And yeah, bye. <laughs> bye Kirsten. Thank you so much for coming on. We're looking forward to the rest of December together. As am I. Have a good rest of the show, guys, and enjoy listening to everybody who's listening to this later. Yep. But anyways, yes, uh, we're just, just wanted to share those two stories because monoliths are weird. And uh, Mark Kelly, I, uh, of course, he's going to be under a microscope being a freshman senator from a swing state who's up for re-election in two years. Um. Yeah, so I guess that if no one else has anything to say, I'll hand it off to Alejandro. Thank you, Gideon. All right, so sorry, let me get my Google Docs app open. All right, so earlier this week, Warner Brothers announced that they would be releasing their full 2020 slate of films on HBO Max the same time as they release in theaters. The films will be on the streaming service for one month, while the films will also still be in theaters. While this news is great for convenience, it also spells out a grim feature for movie theaters. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Wonder Brothers came to this decision after consulting with epidemiologists. In the first half of the statement announcing the news, Warner Brothers or Warner Media Studios and Networks Group CEO Anne Sarnoff said, quote, we know new content is the livelihood, is the lifeblood, excuse me, of theatrical exhibition, but we have to balance this with the reality that most theaters in the US will likely operate at reduced capacity throughout 2021. Now that Warner Brothers films will be re released on HBO Max, what is the incentive to even go to see their movies in the theaters, considering that there will still be the risk of contracting COVID-19? Sure, it's great people can stream new movies for no additional cost to them um, with their subscription, but so much of the movie-going experience is lost without physically going to the movie theaters. Sorry, I lost my place real quick. Um, also, if most films are pushed to streaming, many movies could go out of business. The movie theaters could go out of business. In a letter to Congress on September 30th the, from the Directors Guild of America, National Association of Theater Owners, 
and the Motion Pictures Association, they say, quote, the pandemic has been a devastating financial blow to cinemas. 93% of movie theater companies had over 75% in losses in the second quarter of 2020. If the status quo continues, 69% of small and mid-sized movie theater companies will be forced to file for bankruptcy or to close permanently, and 66% of theater jobs will be lost. Our country cannot afford to lose this social, economic, and cultural value that theaters provide. On October 9th, Regal Cinemas temporarily closed down all their theaters in the United States again. I cannot picture a future with no movie theaters at all. I mean, I can hardly comprehend the limited movie theaters that are open now. Going to the movies, especially by myself, was an activity that I really cherished so much and still cherish so much, even though I haven't been to the movies since February. Unfortunately, movie theater shutting down is yet another failure in the long list of government inactions that have left the American people with no help in sight. So, grim future for movie theaters. As always, I have a list of different thoughts and opinions. Um, to begin with, Warner, why HBO Max? Out of all the services you possibly could have chosen, uh, if we look at statistics, I'm willing to say Hulu and Netflix are probably more used streaming platforms. So why not put them in a place? It's, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It's most, or it's because Warner Brothers, like they own DC and like DC has all their stuff on HBO Max. And like, gotcha. it's just, so it's like most of their properties go into that stuff because they own more gotcha so logistically that makes sense and i was gonna say otherwise like put it on places where more people are gonna see it um government help movie theaters please help companies help businesses that have been infected by COVID 19 they need your help movies like alejandro said you know i think back to when i was like eight years old and Okay, bad reference here because now the author of this book series is no longer approved in current culture, but, you know, thinking about, like, Harry Potter movies coming out at 12 o'clock at night or the new Marvel movie or whatever, getting excited and sitting and waiting and waiting in the line and then getting the movie ticket and eating the popcorn and the M&Ms and drinking, I don't drink soda, so drinking water in my case, but soda in a majority of people's cases and watching movies with other people who love movies. Like I'm a person who watches movies anyway. I, I watch movies on planes. I watch them on my computer, my phone, whatever. But as Alejandro said, there's something about sitting there in that theater, either by yourself or with people you like or fans of the same genre, same film, same whatever, experiencing that as a cultural thing. Movies, especially in other countries, actually, movie theaters are like such a cultural thing. Like, I think to when I've been to foreign countries, again, they call them cinemas there. It's literally, oh, let's go to the cinema, let's have dinner, let's do this, 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 watch a movie. Think about dates. It's dinner and a movie is the classic date idea. Okay, movies are closed. Are you going to go watch a movie at your house or are you going to do some other activity because it's at your house now? Like, we need movie theaters in a weird way, I guess, culturally, and I hadn't thought about it until now. But yes, as Alejandro was saying, that makes sense. They, they are an important part of our identity. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it is a tra real tragedy that there's so many towns that might not have movie theaters after this pandemic has waged its course. And like, yeah, um, I have a friend, a really close friend of mine who's from a small town, not very far away from the valley. 
Um, and one, he would tell me one of the few things that he, he could do in that town um, was go to the movies. Uh, yeah, he lo- like that was the one thing like growing up in that small town, he would just go to the movies and I'm not naming the town for uh, privacy reasons, but um, like, yeah, like a lot in a lot of places, they're kind of a very strong cultural touchstone. Like I can think back even to high school, um, growing up in, in the West Valley, like one of the few, a, a joke everyone says and that's pretty true in a lot of ways is, you know, there's nothing to do out here um, in, the, uh, in the far West Valley. And one of the few things we had in my town was a movie theater, which is right next to the town bowling alley. <laughs> um, and Ah, uh, yes. Uh, shout out um, uh, the, the Surprise Point Shopping Center. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So I just can't imagine a future where a lot of places just won't have that because the fact is, as I said at the end of the last last episode, you know, no one's coming to save us and us seems to include people who own movie theaters somehow. Yeah, someone from a smaller Arizona town, I can tell you, the only thing to do here is go to the movies. Um, one of the, yeah, one of the few things we could do, and also, yeah, it was like a thing here where even if kids weren't going to see movies, they would at least loiter the outside area of the movie theater. Um, so that will be gone soon, too. I know some people don't like loitering, but it is like definitely a cultural thing that teens in my town would do. They would loiter the movie theater and then sometimes they would go to see a movie, but mostly loitering. And um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was really spoiled living in Taylor Place, literally living like a walk away from the AMC 24, um, which I really missed that movie theater. It was really good. It's a really good movie theater. And I remember going there one night to see Parasite and it was like one of the smaller theaters because it was like an indie film. And there weren't that many of us, but it was fun to have that shared experience where we were all like, we could all hear each other's individual like shock at certain moments. And I'm gonna miss that because it's not the same when you're watching it on your laptop or on your TV. It's just like, I don't know, there's that communal experience. Like you don't know anybody else in the movie theater when you get in there, but when you're watching the movie, like all of a sudden, like you know each other, like you guys are like, we're all like best friends. So I'll miss that. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned you cite Parasite specifically because I'm almost certain that is the last movie I saw before everything, before life changed as I know it. I remember going with some people, incidentally, including Kirsten, who was on the show today. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, with that, we will move on to sports with Haley. Couple thoughts about movie theaters first because thoughts appear in my head. Apparently, one, go support independent movie theaters, please. Too that <laughs> they need your help and their your your support. And they put out great movies that usually aren't made by these huge production companies, and like they are some quality movies. And then also, as the person from the big city on the podcast. We look, there's four things people do everywhere. 
bowling because bowling alleys seem to exist in every every little city you can find in America. There's a bowling alley. Go to the shopping center or the mall. Go to the movies or go to eat. In New York, we get tired of all of our fancy big things to do there. I can tell you, I've spent more time in a movie theater in New York City than I have doing entertaining New Yorky stuff because people from the city decide, hey, going to a movie is more entertaining than going to the Empire State Building for the 50th time in the week. I tell you, there's no point in doing that. So yeah, as much as the small town city people love movie theaters, we appreciate them in big cities too because like entertainment is important. Anyway, now we'll talk about another form of entertainment, sports. And I don't think sports are going away yet, but again, we'll see because COVID's confusing. Anyway, after a lot of COVID testing, confusion, and deliberation, ASU basketball is back. And yes, I'm talking both men's and women's. Both of them started about a week ago or a week and a half ago at the time of this recording, as Kirsten mentioned earlier, December 4th. So far, the male Sun Devils are 4-1, and the women's Sun Devils are 4-0 after a tight-fought game tonight that was 63-58 officially. So let's kick it off by talking about the women. Head coach Charlie Turner Thorne is back for her 24th season at the helm, and she's looking to lead the Sun Devils to yet another NCAA tournament appearance. The 2020 team is a little bit younger than past years, and it's not as experienced as they maybe could have been if they had some of the older players still. They have six freshmen on the roster and one senior, but what they lack in experience, they make up for in heart and hard work. According to Arizona Sports, Charlie Turner Thorne is already impressed by her younger players' leadership qualities and work ethics. The next game for them kicks off at 2 o'clock Mountain Standard Time on Sunday at Desert Financial Arena. There, the Devils will be facing off against the number nine ranked UCLA Bruins. Last season, the Devils lost both of their games to the Bruins by small margins. This season, they'll look to continue their undefeated streak, but I don't think it'll be an easy game. UCLA is coming into the arena shooting at 49%. It could be anyone's game. Alejandro, I know here on the panel, you're the other big women's basketball fan. Thoughts on how their season started so far? Yeah, I think it's a really solid start. and They're doing better than I thought they would, honestly, just because the seniors that graduated played such an integral role um, on the team last year. And because this team is so young and inexperienced and the PAC 12 is getting harder and harder every year, the talent just keeps coming into the conference. So I'm definitely impressed. They started off the season a little rough, a lot of fouls, lots of turnovers, but as the month has progressed and I assume more practices have happened, the team has gotten a lot sharper and um, they've just gotten a lot better, a lot more, making a lot more smart decisions. And it'll be interesting Sunday when they face number nine UCLA because this will be their first real big test against a ranked opponent. And ASU women's, these past couple seasons, they've gone into the season unranked, but always found a way to get ranked. So if they can notch a win, this is possibly an end to being ranked. For sure, yeah, I think it could be their chance to be ranked. ASU has this tendency, whether it's men's, women's, basketball, football, whatever it is, to come in and out of rankings. And hopefully the basketball teams can have a permanent ranking this season, both men's and women's. I think the women's team, it's possible. They, again, not as experienced as they could have been or would have liked to be necessarily, but have a great coach, 
she's very successful, loved here in Tempe, loved by ASU students. If they continue the run of form they're on right now, I, I see good things happening for them, to be honest. But now let's turn our attention to the men. As I mentioned earlier, they're 4-1 on the season. Last night, December 3rd, they faced it off against the Cal Golden Bears. They came away with the win. It was 70-62, to and Remy Martin, well, he did what he's supposed to do. He went absolutely crazy last night and finally came back to form. He scored 22 points, picked up five assists, four rebounds, and two steals. With his leadership, I think the Sun Devils could have a strong season. Again, as a biased ASU fan, happy he's back. I'm sure most ASU students would agree with me. Along with him, freshman Jeff Christopher picked up his first Pac-12 Freshman of the Year award on Monday and is looking good. Men's basketball also will probably have a strong season and is looking to bring victory back into the Valley. I think they could get ranked, and they are having a game later this week, I believe, as I said, on Sunday, but I could be wrong on that. I need to double-check that. Um, and I think that their season will go good as well. We will see as it continues to develop. If you want more basketball content, I'm going to quickly recommend going to check out Heat Check. They are good at basketball. Basketball Bonzana, I think, is what Nick Hodell and Dominic Stern's basketball podcast is called. They know a lot more than I do about basketball and can give you lots of great information. But panel, I'm going to open it up to you guys. Let's talk about ASU basketball if you guys have any thoughts. I'm I'm, uh, I'm just here happy that my school, that, that teams are doing so well, especially the women's basketball, the most severely underrated team ever. Um, <laughs> I, Alejandro has long told me like he was the one who started really pointing me in that direction of just how incredibly underrated they are by us Sun Devils, despite being one, like one of the best out there. Um, and women's Pac-12 sports are really good. Really, really good. Soccer, water polo, basketball, all, all really good. Softball, the Pac-12 women's sports are really good. Yeah. And ASU is uh, pretty competitive in just about all those you said. Um, yeah, we do. We do like to keep it toward the top there. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, it sounds like really great news. The men having a really good start to the season. Have they been? Yeah, who have their opponents been, Haley? I will have to double check because I I believe they have. Hold on, we're gonna look it up. Because we love writing scripts shortly, shortly, shortly before the show is preparing. All right. They faced up against Cal, like I said yesterday. They won that game. That's their first Pac-12 win. They faced off against Villanova. That's their loss. Villanova's ranked number 12, though. So, like, fine. We will accept that loss. They faced off against HBU and Rhode Island, and that's, yeah, that's been their season so far, and next they face off against San Diego State. Okay, so really early on in the season, they, their one loss is against a ranked team, so they're in a good place, if you ask me, just start, like, just starting out, and the women, of course, as I've said, I, they're, they're going far, wherever they go, I don't know how far, that not my area of expertise, but given their past record, they know what they're doing. 
I think Coach Charlie Turner Thorne doesn't when it, the media has conversations about um, the best women's college basketball coaches, I rarely ever hear Coach Charlie Turner's, Turner Thorne's name in it, but she her name should absolutely be in that conversation because I don't know the exact number, but these past couple of seasons, she's had 21-plus seasons multiple times in a row, which is not easy um, in the Pac-12 conference. And she's a defensive-minded coach, and no matter – what batch of players she has, she's always going to encourage them to work hard and pretty much, you know, give it all they got, which have led them to upsets in the past. And I think that, you know, she is pretty much like the lifeblood of the team. You know, she's been at ASU for so long and she's pretty much synonymous with the program. And I think she deserves more respect on the national scale. And as far as the men's, you know, you see when you get recruits like Josh Christopher, how much better your team can be. Not that we haven't been good in the past, but I mean, people like him and Marcus Bagley just make the team so much better. And I think it'll definitely be interesting come tournament time to see how far both teams can go because in this in this COVID year, it's really anyone's game compared to years past. It's a lot more open, I think. Yeah, I was just about to mention Marcus. Um, unfortunately, I believe he sustained an injury short-term um, not great for ASU basketball, but yeah, going back to Charlie Turner Thorne, she is ASU women's basketball at this point. Her face is the face of ASU women's basketball, and with her at the helm, I only see good things happening. ASU men's basketball started a little rocky. Yeah, they played Villanova again, as we mentioned, a loss that they probably can afford to suffer, but they looked good over the past two games, building up and better shooting from them overall. That's pretty much what I have to say on basketball right now. We have a little bit of time left, so I wanted to check in with you guys once again. Finals week, busy week here at ASU. Uh, I know I'm happy that the semester's almost over. I know it was a stressful week, lots of stories to lots of, for me, not a lot of testing, just got lucky with that. Lots of like projects and other things to do, but how's school wrapping up for you guys? It's it's wrapping up all right. Um, it hasn't been extremely crazy for me. So my crazy week was uh, Thanksgiving week, just because of it being so short, and there was a bunch of stuff due. It was the two the what is it the week before Thanksgiving, and then that short week um, right before Thanksgiving were the absolutely crazy ones for me. This one was a lot better. It was shockingly. Like, yeah, I, it feels weird almost saying like, yeah, finals week was an absolute hell for me, which is something that will never happen again. So <laughs> yeah, I'm clapping it up for you because of not stressful finals week. I, I relate. I'm a person who just doesn't get stressed super easily, but we're here for not stressing during finals week. Good. Yay. Yep, I just did that the two weeks prior. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, this... This week um, was kind of stressful, but thankfully it's pretty much wrapped up for me. Um, although I will say ASU, um, please consider next time having a proper finals week because I did see a lot of my fellow students and peers struggle with not having a proper finals week because I mean, I get that there's COVID and all of that, but having a shortened semester did put a lot of pressure on a lot of people. Yeah, agreed. And I think especially it confused some of the younger students 
who were like, ASU, what is happening? Wait, we have classes, we have finals, what's happening here? Us older kids, okay, maybe we're not fully better at navigating my ASU or campus necessarily, but at least have more college experience and can just kind of tell what's happening a little bit more. I know for a lot of freshmen, it stressed them out and confused them, and they do not need that added stress right now with COVID, plus it being their first year, plus finals, did not need that. And now we will get into the other part of the show we do at the end, what we're thankful for. I am thankful for all the professors who stuck with us through the semester over Zoom. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of them. I had some great professors this year, and they learned how to use Zoom. At the beginning, I can't tell you how problematic Zoom was for some of them. I had first-time professors who had never touched Canvas in their lifetime. And by the end of it, were like Canvas experts who were doing things on Canvas that I didn't even know existed. So thank you, professors, for sticking with us, being helpful, and getting through the semester with us. I think sometimes professors are underappreciated. So thank you. And thanks high school teachers and elementary school teachers, even though I have not experienced right now with either of them because I'm not that age. I, I, I'm sure they appreciate a lot of thanks too. And to the parents who are like kindergarten age children's parents and like sitting with their kids on Zoom, thank you. I appreciate you. You are appreciated. Yeah, um, I just want to give thanks to just something uh, to something that's outside our control, but is nice and it, glad that it's happening. I'm thankful for the cooler weather. Um, like, oh my goodness, uh, any of you who live in the uh, greater Phoenix area, the beautiful Valley of the Sun, it's in rather chilly, which is why I made the my apartment's an icebox joke toward the beginning of the episode. It kind of is. I can live with it though. Um, it just means I'm trying to find excuses to use my oven. I have not successfully found very many excuses to use my oven yet, but I, I, I will find more. Um, yeah, I'm just thankful for the cooler weather and being able to go outside and not get burned like to a crisp and actually wear things like right now on this Zoom, I'm wearing long sleeves, which everyone can see. But of course, you're probably listening to this as a podcast, so you can't see me. But... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for the colder weather at last. Just for another quick behind the scenes, for those of you who don't know, Kirsten, I believe, is in New Jersey right now. When Gideon said the colder weather, her face, amazing, beautiful, because we love this ever on the East Coast versus Arizona, we're 56 degrees. Ooh, chilly, it's cold out right now. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel sorry for Kirsten. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm grateful for just making it through the semester because the semester was not easy by any means. Um, and I'm looking forward to using the break as a time to rejuvenate and just, you know, kind of reset. Um, cause yeah, I mean, who could have, I mean, this has been the most chaotic year like ever and who could have guessed where it would have taken us and where it will take us. So grateful for getting through this semester. And um, yeah, um, can we please have a spring break? Yes, um, begging ASU, do not under any conditions cancel our spring break. Do, do whatever you have to do, but 
we don't have another mid-semester break. I think my brain is just gonna turn into liquid um, almost in this semester. Let's not do that again. You call it fake break again if you want. Just give us a break, please. <laughs> thank you from, from all of us ASU students. And thank you all for listening. Once again, you're appreciated as always, especially those international listeners. Gideon wants to say something or he's gonna type it to me. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just wanna quickly say, stay tuned. Oh boy. No, yeah. when, when I say we have something big coming to you in the month of December and we're still trying to figure out the time, I'm not kidding. This has been the absolute biggest, one of the biggest things I've probably man, been able to get connected to the show ever. There is a person who is coming on. This person is actually outside of our orbit. So not saying names, not revealing anything. I'm hyping it up. Stay tuned. Yes, we're excited for that. And we have another super fun episode planned for later in December where we'll get off on tangents as we always do with that one. That one you'll want to be here for too. You can tune in on whatever podcast listening form you listen on or platform. Let me reiterate that sentence. Or 5.30 p.m. on Blaze. I don't know what's happening with Blaze over December. Someone else here does. We're still on Blaze Radio. Continue listening to us for the month of December. And we, we appreciate it. If you want, if you're feeling really great, you can follow us at the review underscore squared on Twitter, Instagram, and I think that's it. We might have a Facebook. I really don't think we do. No Facebook. Don't don't look for us. I can't recommend what's there. If you wanna if you wanna show us, if you find something, go for it. We'd love to see it. If you want to email us, you can do that too. We, we would love to tell your stories or even just talk to you. Our Gmail is on our Twitter somewhere so that I don't have to butcher it. Um, Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you all are able to stay safe, stay healthy, and rejuvenate. The song at the start of the episode is Dedicated to the Press by Betty Davis, and the music you hear is by Springtide.